like, whoa. I'm happy to do it. Even I'm doing it. I know, you're Still. doing it. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Hold on. <sighs> We can send the bloopers. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, we are. We are professional. I know we are. We're, Here we, we go. <clears throat> kind of. Okay. Citizen podcast. Hi, my name is Carrie Kelly, and welcome to another episode of Citizen Podcast where we are exploring a citizenship of solidarity and how we show up for each other. We're joined today by the amazing Tarana Burke, the original founder of the Me Too movement, as we tease out the true meaning of Me Too and what's beyond the hashtag. So let me set the stage. My friend and colleague Amanda Strumer contacted me about interviewing Tarana Burke for a video to be featured at the Muse Conference in Bend, Oregon. Of course, I said yes. I'd been admiring Tarana Burke since Me Too exploded last fall and was super excited to get her take on the movement. But if that wasn't enough, Amanda called a few days later to inform me that they had found a location for the shoot. Gloria Steinem's apartment. At that point, I nearly died. Two of the biggest feminist icons in one place, both trailblazers in their own right, but representing different parts of the movement. I knew this was going to be a conversation I would never forget. And it was. As you will hear, we covered so much ground and really got to the heart of what Me Too is all about. How the movement actually began over a decade ago in Alabama to support brown and black survivors of sexual violence and how what we really need to teach our girls is who they are beyond what society tells them they should be. And how if we're not centering the voices of marginalized people, then we are doing the wrong work. The story of how Me Too came to be is symbolic of that point. Tarana's efforts were almost erased when white popular women put Me Too on the map. But this is not just a movement for white cisgender women. It's about giving young people language, people who are survivors a way forward, and the community coming together to combat sexual assault. Tarana's vision is much bigger than hashtags and callouts. She believes Me Too is a movement to radicalize the notion of mass healing. While the recent iteration in social media has put attention on the perpetrators, Tarana is putting survivors at the forefront of this movement and uplifting radical community healing as a social justice issue. And on that, we could not agree more. If we are not healing, we are not transforming. And it starts with healing marginalized communities to achieve the inclusivity the Me Too movement strives for. Tarana set this movement in motion well before the Harvey Weinstein scandal or the Alyssa Milano tweet or the Time's Up campaign. She is a visionary, a healer, a joyful revolutionary, and we need to follow her because she is leading us towards the personal and collective healing that we all need to transform our communities and our country. Have a listen. Oh, hi. Hello. <laughs> 
Um, so we're here in New York City, live, reporting back to all of our friends and family at Muse Conference. And I could not be more blessed to be here with um, the amazing Tarana Burke, oh, founder of the Me Too movement. Um, we're sitting extremely intimately <laughs> close to one another. <laughs> so we've gotten to get to know each other a little bit over the last couple minutes, but I'm excited to be in this conversation <laughs> with you. <laughs> so the last couple months have been, I'm sure, a whirlwind for you. It's an understatement, but yes. Is an understatement. <laughs> what? Tell me one, like, holy crap, this is happening moment that you've had over the last couple months that has just kind of blown oh, you away. They're, they're Quite a few. <laughs> Probably Time Magazine was mm -hmm. the holy crap mm -hmm. um, moment because, I mean, people ask about it all the time, but it's not a thing that you kind of grow up wishing. Mm -hmm. I've never met anybody that says, I want, one day I want to be the Time person <laughs> of the year, right? It's just not a, you know, it's not a thought. And, um, and even when we were nominated, because it was so new and people, some people knew that, that this was something I started and other people didn't, yep. I didn't even know that I would be a person that they would call on to represent it. Yep. Um, and and then the time was so you know they're so like laid back and kind of it's like we have this little project we wanted to know if you wanted to participate little yeah and I was like okay you know <laughs> and they had called the listen too and then we started putting our heads together when the um, nomination the the uh, poll came out we yeah. were like could this be wow and even then I was like that's not gonna happen yeah it's not it's, that's just not gonna happen yeah. and then it happened I and was you're like, yeah big oh, deal. Wow. Big deal. Big deal. <laughs> so you set this movement in motion well before the Harvey Weinstein scandal, the mm -hmm. Alyssa Milano t uh, tweet, the mm -hmm. Time's Up campaign. Could you ever have imagined that it would get this big? No. Actually, I had a vision, and I, I found this written in a journal, because I've just been pulling out all kind of old stuff, Yeah. Um, that one day maybe that it would be sort of a beacon of light for survivors. Mm -hmm. I thought that there would be like bumper stickers mm -hmm. and window decals and the world wouldn't necessarily know what it meant, but they'd see it everywhere, yeah. but we wouldn't know what it meant. And it meant like, oh, that represents a safe space yeah. or that's a person that's safe to talk to or that's a fellow survivor. Mm -hmm. I, that was sort of the vision, but yeah. I, I, but also we didn't live in a world where it was okay to talk about sexual violence publicly. Yeah. We didn't have national dialogue about it. so I just didn't have any space to dream about this. Well, and that was back in 2006, right? Yeah. When this vision emerged. Can well, you tell yeah. us about that beginning? Like, how did it start? Who inspired it? Yeah, well, a couple of things. I, you know, I've been organizing since I was a teenager. And there was always, not always, but for a while, there was sort of a nagging thing about why don't we organize around issues around gender mm -hmm. um, or gender-based violence. We didn't call it that. I didn't yeah. say those words. but. You know, I had a young person who was in, I used to run a leadership camp, and I had a young person in that camp who really was trying to find space to confide in me about her experience with sexual mm -hmm. violence. And I was 22 and still grappling with my own, you know, survivorship or whatever, and um, and just didn't have it for her. And that, that stayed with me for a very long time yeah. because just even as a person who works with young people, you just want to get it right. Yeah. You know, just the thing, even as a parent, like the thing you just don't want to do is mess up your kid. Yeah. So um, there was it's a couple of things. So it was that. And then as uh, my friend and I started doing this work with young people and it felt like the girls needed a different kind of attention. Right. Mm -hmm. It just not necessarily not even around sexual violence, just different. Mm -hmm. And we started doing that work with them, really specific work with girls. 
And again, every time we got a collection of young people together, young girls together, there was always this moment when they started talking about their experience, even if they didn't have the language. Yeah. Right? It was what we understood to be yeah. sexually violent, but they didn't know it. And I, I, it just became a point when it was like, I want to do something. Right? We have to do something. And I tried not to. <laughs> you know, I tried, because I felt like it wasn't my lane. Like yeah. My lane is leadership development. I can teach you how to organize. I can teach you how to do a campaign and yeah. leadership development. But it just wasn't, I thought, my lane. But after trying to find resources in the community, trying to find people who felt as passionate about it or who could help in some kind of way, I couldn't find it. And, you know... That's just the, that's the kind of heart the you have. The need right? emerged. Yeah, the need emerged. And I was like, well, I know what I do have. I have experience, right? And I have a passion for this. Yeah. And so I took that experience and I thought, like, what would I have needed at 14 yeah. and 13? I'm a survivor. Like, what, what could somebody have said to me or given me or gifted me with um, or made me feel like when I was that age that could have maybe changed the trajectory of my life? And what was that for you? I mean, what did where did you get to with that? It was empathy. Mm -hmm. It was it was it feels like a simple thing, and sometimes when I talk about it now, I think people think that's it. <laughs> I'm just like, it, yep. it's right. It's a, it's the start, though, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I think one of the misconceptions even about this movement and the work is that Me Too is a destination, yeah. and it's really a starting point, yeah. right? It's not just about the declaration, and yeah. that's it. For me, it was these women who I met who were really vulnerable and transparent and shared their stories with me. So they gave me language. They write, I, I would say victim, and they called me a survivor. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh. Like mm -hmm. little things like that started changing how mm -hmm. I thought about it. And it also, it's like these women who I met gave me permission to heal. Mm -hmm. They gave me an opening to start that journey. And we don't ever think that kids need those things or young people need those things. And even in our communities, we don't talk about healing. We don't talk about what we need. As an organizer, the thing you hear all the time is we need to, you have to meet people where they are right. and you have to meet their basic needs. And it's always food, clothing, and shelter, yep. right? And I'm just like, we have other needs, yeah. other really basic needs. Yep. Like those are tangible needs. There are this wealth of intangible needs that we have. And I feel like it's unfair to ask, some, ask somebody to f get out in the street, fight against Whatever, police yeah. brutality, economic disparity, political blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And we are, we are cracked up in pieces on the inside and yeah. nobody's taking care of those needs. So I've heard you talk about that, the need for a movement that radicalizes this notion of mass healing. I yeah. love the way that sounds. And mm -hmm. it does feel like that... That is missing from the mainstream mm -hmm. Me Too movement. We mm -hmm. hear a lot about pushing back, speaking truth to power, holding people accountable, but we don't hear a lot about healing. healing. This is a movement about healing, period. Yeah. Right? And it's about healing in two ways, individual healing and community healing. And the pushback and all of that is a part of community healing. We have to deal with both at the same time. Yeah. For me, and I think... I'm glad you said sort of mainstream because this is false narrative that is existing that Me Too is about all of these things that it's not. Right. Even not even from my perspective in terms of the body of work that existed, even from the first tweet that Alyssa put out, yep. she literally said, say this thing if you've experienced this thing. It was solidarity. It was, yeah, it was about a declaration, yep. about a statement to show the, the, the gravity of the issue, right? Even before Me Too went viral, the women who came forward around Harvey Weinstein those women didn't call for anything, yeah. right? These are women who were trying to find a space to tell their truth. Yeah.
They literally just told their truth. Which is a part of it, but not the whole story. It's not the whole story, but but the idea that this is a you know a movement to take down powerful men and there's you know we have targets on men's right. backs. That's a corporate media yep. made thing. That's not real. This is about healing. There are you know for all of the people you see in the media every day and all of the things you hear about Me Too in, in the media, I get. I, I want to say thousands because it feels like that, but definitely hundreds of letters and emails and DMs mm -hmm. and social media messages from people who are in pain, who have held this thing and been holding on to this thing for their for dear life for God knows how long, and they're like, okay, help me. Mm -hmm. What do I do with this? That's what this movement is about. It's about helping people understand that there are several entry points to a healing journey. and. I can't tell people what their journey is, I can't teach them how to heal, but I can certainly help people find entry points to start their journey. Well, and I love what you said about how um, this is the starting point, right? Mm -hmm. And if, and when we think about healing, healing's hard. Yeah. And it's like a, it's like a long journey it's that forever. has, it's forever <laughs> and it's emergent. Mm -hmm. And so like, what do you think are like the components? Like, what do we need to build um, in order to like um, tend to this mass movement of healing? Because it feels like, the mainstream Me Too movement is is predominantly online, uh -huh. right? It's like uh -huh. what's beyond the hashtag uh -huh. that will allow for this sort of relational uh, healing process. And I, I think it's online and offline. Yeah. I think for us, when I when I talk about Me Too movement, I talk about it from the perspective of the work, the body of work that we'll carry, yeah. and and that is create even online. There's not a space you can go to right now if you went to Google or whatever to, that helps you feel if you are a survivor of sexual violence. And I think about all the different ways that we have these quirky existences, you know, and then we we craft this way that we get through life. Right. And it feels can feel it feel really strange and make you feel abnormal and make you feel all of these different things right. until you find a community of people that are like right. you. And so I want to create a community, an online community, where people can go and feel safe yeah. and feel protected. And so, you know, I talk all the time about, like, I have a terrible memory. And that is directly related to me being a survivor because yeah. I spent many years trying not to remember things. To forget. Right? Deliberately. And, and like, crafting it so that I, could, I, I don't go certain places in my mind. It's like a maze. I always think of it like, oh, can't go down that corner. got to turn yeah. this way, right? I've been really intentional about that. And as a result, I have a terrible memory. Yeah. People don't understand that yeah. unless you've been through wound. this thing, right, right? Right. So you need to. You, and when I tell that, I always get survivors like, "Oh my gosh, that's it! I know exactly what you mean." Yeah. So we need a space where you can go find information, yeah. where you can go find like-minded people, and really feel community online. Yeah. But also, we need a space online where people can be active, yeah. right? And so to get the guidance to do what you have to do in the, on the ground, the one of the ways the work happened for us as we were doing this. Um, you know, once we started, was creating healing circles. And so the, the hope is to teach the world how to create healing circles yep. in their own community. Yep. Like, because essentially we want to fill in the gaps. Yep. For all the people who don't have access, if you don't have therapy or you don't want to go to therapy or yep. what, whatever the various reasons are, giving people access to the tools they need to craft their own healing journey. And then if you want to be active in the community, people need action steps. Yeah. So like for me, when I think about it, I think about it. The three things that have to happen. The first thing is narrative change, which yeah. we can get to, but like really changing the mainstream popular narrative about what this movement is. Yeah. And then building the thing that people need, yeah. right? 
it's it takes time though. Yep. It it I went I spent the first part of the first few months feeling like oh, just in a frenzy trying to respond to everything and not really knowing how long we had, you know. Everybody I know that does this work has a sense of urgency. Like we don't know how long they're gonna let us talk about That's this. Right. <laughs> the momentum is finite. Right. And so I spent the first few months just really trying to move at the pace of pop culture. Yeah. It's impossible. Not the pace of trust. Yeah. It's not. It's impossible. Right. And so right around like after Time Magazine, it kind of was like a crescendo, and I was yep. like, okay, I just have to pull back. Yeah. Right. I have to do what I know. And I've been doing this work, not just this work around sexual violence, but the you know work in service of people yeah. my whole life. Yeah. This is not how we work. This is not how we're effective. I wasn't being thoughtful or strategic. And so I had to take a step back. I had to pull in other people yeah. that I trust and, then we, and create a plan. Yeah. And then let people know, I know you want something right away, but you have to wait because <laughs> we want to craft something that's going to work and it's going to last and it's going to be around and sustainable. Yeah. Well, and like healing, it takes time. It takes right, time. To build that kind forever. of movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about the narrative because you brought it up. Um, <laughs> and in, in a lot of ways, the way that this happened mm-hmm. for you is symbolic of the thing I think you're, you're naming, right? Like the... Um, we all know the story of mm-hmm. the Alyssa Milano tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of these statistics blow my mind. Mm-hmm. 24 hours later, the hashtag, hashtag had been used on Twitter 825,000 times. Mm-hmm. Um, and 4.7 million people had used it in 12 million posts. And in a way, though, it took off without you. Oh, yeah. Not in a way. It absolutely took off without me, yeah. And for how long? Because I remember um, hearing about it and then hearing the voices of Alicia Garza, mm-hmm. like people intervening and saying, yeah. hey, hey, wait up. Yeah. This is a, the work of Tarana Burke. Yeah. It was It was really a day later. Yeah. It just was a sort of a slow burn. Yeah. So, so, you know, October 15th, I'm laying in my bed <laughs> on Sunday. Same normal you know, day, right, normal Sunday. Know, I decided not to go to church. So, so when my my um, phone went off, uh, I had one friend who 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 sent me a message and was like, "Hey, congratulations! You know, like this is really great. I'm seeing me too everywhere." And I was like, "What? <laughs> what do you mean?" Because what people don't know is that we I had been planning and plotting with all these people who do work with me to sort of make a big splash around me too this coming April for Sexual Assault Awareness yeah. Month. And so I, sh- I saw the post and I was like, what is this? And you know, I'm 44 and yeah. I'm not a Twitter person. Yeah. And so I called my 20-year-old daughter. <laughs> <laughs> Call the people who know. Right. And I was like, find this thing. Find it. I can't, I don't, because I went on Facebook and yeah. I didn't see it. And because, you know, that's where we live. <laughs> yeah. And my daughter. I'm a Gen Xer as well. Yeah. You know, my daughter came and my daughter was like, Mom, it's on Twitter. And literally for a day, for, for most of the day, I sat there. First, I was panicked, yeah. like complete panic. Because I was like, OK, nobody's going to believe yeah. that I have been doing this yeah. for the longest time, yeah. that we've used this phrase, that this means something. Yeah. Um, and I'm a black woman. Yeah. This is not coming from the black Twitter or the black community. It's, I'll just be erased, yeah. right? That was my initial panic. And, and it was really panic. And so I called my friends and I started like, what do I do? I this is my life's work. And, um, and, you know, my friends were like, calm down. We don't know what's going to happen. And as the day went on, it was more and more and more people. I, I just, the, the, the feeling of, um, that feeling just intensified. Yeah. So, yeah. So my daughter found it on the internet for me. And, you know, on Twitter, the way you can um, watch a hash- just a hashtag 
And so I started watching the hashtag obsessively. Oh, my God. Right? And meanwhile, I'm talking to my friends, and my, and my one friend said, you have to calm down. You've been doing this for years. You have years of receipts. There's no way people are going to not know it's you. And I was like, oh, I know, but who's going to, you know, believe it, blah, blah, blah. And so I kept watching the hashtag. And somewhere about, I don't know, 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, because I really was obsessing, mm-hmm. I was still watching. I was laying in the bed. I would, like, go away and come back. And it's like, it's still, people are still saying it. Oh, my gosh. And so, um, but I clicked on somebody's story, and it was somebody's ha- somebody's Twitter thing, and her story popped up. It was like a longer mm. story. I don't know how she had attached it or something. And I, I don't know who this person is. I mean, meaning I don't know the race or anything, the age. And I started reading the story, and I was completely convicted. Mm-hmm. And I had this moment of, you know, I've been spending the whole day trying to figure out how I was going to save my work. And my work was happening right in front of me all day long. It was, it was right there. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, Tarana, I needed to take a step back. I mean, my, my fear was real. I think yeah. the, the fear of thinking that my and work would be erased. And it's right. right we like have that evidence all- that that would happen. Right. But what I know is that I have spent my life, I made a decision about my life really early on. And so this was one of those moments where you have to say, like, it's like where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. Like, so I had to decide, am I going to be in conflict or am I going to be in service? Yeah. And I, I and here, you know. And here you are. Right. I, I had to be in service. Yeah. And, and not just for my own sake, but also the other thing that was happening was the panic was about my work. But it was also like I'm watching hundreds of thousands of women publicly disclose and there's no container for them to process. Right. There's no, it was not like somebody, something chasing the tweet saying, hey, if you're saying me too, yeah. call this number yeah. or let me help you out yeah, or, or here's some tools. Here's some tools. And it was nothing like that. And I know that I have those things. Yeah. So I have to insert myself in yeah. this conversation, yeah. but not from a place of like, this is mine, I want to save it. Yeah. But like, if you want to do this, yeah. like, let's jump in. If you want yeah. to do this, I need to tell you all something, yeah. right? There's, there's, there's an idea behind this. There's, nobody was talking about like the, these words, the reason why these words are resonating with you, because you're feeling a sense of empathy from yeah. somebody else. There's a connection happening yeah. that you didn't know you needed until you got it, yeah. right? And somebody needed to say that. And it, and it worked. I was, I'm still every day like, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. They listen. Well, and thank God you sort of like brought in that piece of like, okay, now what do we do with mm-hmm. this so mm-hmm. that we can sustain this work and so that we can learn how to take care of each other? Yeah. I want to give a shout out to our community of supporters on Patreon without whom this podcast wouldn't be possible. Citizen Podcast is reimagining citizenship for all of us. Not the kind that requires documents and papers, but an everyday practice of how we take care of each other and the whole of society. We're daring to ask hard questions about who we are and who we are to one another and what's possible when we show up for the well-being of the whole. But making a good podcast takes a village. And so we're building one on Patreon. And what we love about this platform is that it's mutual. It's about supporting one another. By joining this community, you get lots of good stuff from us, like practice tools and meditation, community forums that inspire conversation, and lifestyle content that you can trust. And not only does it keep us going, but it keeps us honest and real and pushing the envelope of courageous conversations that are independent, transparent, and authentic. You can opt in for as little as $1 per month 
or $5 or $10 and so on. And think of it this way, for the equivalent of one coffee per month or one yoga class or one dinner, you get to be a part of something bigger, a call to action to become better citizens for humanity. So check us out on patreon.com forward slash C-T-Z-N-W-E-L-L and build with us as we create a culture of well-being that works for everyone. One of the things that I've heard you say related to this is that if we don't center the voices of marginalized people, mm -hmm. then we are doing the wrong work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why your origin story is so significant, mm -hmm. right? Because it's totally typical of the mainstream media to focus all of the attention on white, high-profile people in places mm -hmm. and exclude and erase women of color. Mm -hmm. And so what, what is the cost or the impact of not centering voices and stories of those who have been most impacted? I mean, what we've seen historically is that when, when marginalized people, when people of color or queer people or trans people or disabled people are not the, at, the, at the core, at the center, they get lost. They get pushed to the margins, mm -hmm. right? Like that's how they actually become marginalized. And what we also know is that when we focus on those groups, everybody else benefits. Mm -hmm. Like trickle down doesn't work. Mm -hmm. If we start at the top and just hope that some of this goodness yep. will fall on these people who desperately need it, it'll never happen. Yeah. But if we build from the bottom up, we build this foundation, then everybody gets served. Yeah. And so that's why it's the wrong work. If we're, if we're not starting with these groups and saying, look who needs access, who needs mo the most access, who yeah. needs the most resources, then you find all these other people will also benefit. Yeah. Like it's not just, it's not from a selfish place at all. It's yeah. from a place of actually thinking impact. about everybody, right? right. And you, if you wanna have the most impact amongst people across all race, class, gender lines, then you have to start with the people who are often pushed to the margin. Well, and I've also heard you say something like, um, the Me Too message might be the same, but the response is different. Oh yeah, I, I, sexual violence knows no race, class, or gender, right. but the response absolutely does, right? And we can see that all the time. We're looking at it right now in the yeah. media. Yeah. So we, are, as, a, as America, just as American people, we are trained to respond to the vulnerability of white women. Yeah. It's just historically how we know, like yeah, we, how we're we, wired. How we're wired, yeah. right? How we're socialized in the country. And so it's not surprising that, and, and that's not to take away from it, because I, I really want to be careful about the women who came forward around Harvey Weinstein and around all these other people are survivors of yeah. sexual violence and not sexual harassment in the workplace, yeah. like sexual violence. And not, not to say it's not both violent. So I don't want to diminish them, but they're also not standing up and saying, make it about me, don't only talk about me. Yeah. They're not doing that. Yeah. The media does that. Yeah. And they do it because we, we exist in a culture that, 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 that elevates celebrity yeah. in all ways. And so there's some ways we have to sort of examine and interrogate the way we elevate celebrity to a certain status so that they only matter. Right. Right. I've met some of these women. They're, they are absolutely not trying to keep all, you know, not all of them, <laughs> keep the attention on them. Some of them. Maybe. <laughs> but but yeah. for the most part, right, it's just, it's, these are just people. They're yeah. just women trying to have the same thing that everybody else is trying to have. Yeah. But again, they are privileged in many ways. Yeah. And so the thing I, I, the other thing I always say is that you privilege in, is not inherently wrong to me necessarily. Some people may say it is. Yeah. But I, well, I shouldn't even say it's not inherently wrong. I don't think it's going anywhere. Yeah. And so you, but you, it's really about how you use it. So if yeah. you don't use your privilege in service of other people, that's when it becomes problematic. Yeah. Yeah. So if you know that the media is going to 
put focus all attention on you or if you know that you're going to be the focal point and there are other people who've been pushed to the margins it is up to those of us who have privilege in various ways to shine that light and say wait we need to bring these people in well and i love um i love like i love the fact that the me too movement um in, in many ways, especially the piece that you're bringing to it, mm-hmm. is affirming that our healing, our well-being, our liberation are bound, right? Like that yeah. empathy and resonance that you're talking about, like we need each other. And yeah. so if we can have that understanding, then we can't not center. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I know you've worked a ton with girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was how this work began, yeah, correct? Yeah, I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I heard you once speak about the difference between... Um, self-worth and self-esteem, which I think is such a great distinction, right? Mm -hmm. Because there's what we believe about ourselves Mm -hmm. and then there's what we're taught we should be. Can Mm -hmm. you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, when we started doing the work, when when, um, Just the Inc., the organization that gave birth to me too, was founded, it was because, again, I felt like the girls that we were working with in our community needed a different kind of attention. And whenever, and this is across race, whenever people do programs for girls or think about stuff for girls, there's always these kind of baseline things they do. We got to teach them etiquette. Right. And it's always like, oh, we're going to build their self-esteem. And what I know, and particularly in our community, meaning communities of color, people, I can say to you all day, you are beautiful, you are amazing, you're intelligent, you're gifted, and all of these things. And then I'm going to release you into a world that's going to tell you something absolutely different. Yeah. And that profits off of that. Right. So you don't. So you have these girls who I can say this to you. You trust me. I love you. You know I love you. But the world doesn't also yeah. always feel like that. Yeah. So you don't see yourself. You don't in movies or TV or radio. Oh, you don't see yourself represented well. And so, for for me, it was about these girls need more than just self-esteem building. They need to be grounded in a sense of self-worth, so that when the world tries to tell you these things, you can identify the lie. Yep. Right. And you know the truth about who you are. Yep. And for us, it was about giving them historical context, right? Why does the world think of you this way? And 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 when we talk about etiquette, it was about, it was, well, we, it was sort of a play on it, but it was like, who do you want to be in the world? Yeah. How do you want to show up? Yeah. Right? And once you decide that, what are the tools you need to do that? Yeah. What is, how does your life need to, what trajectory do you need to be on to get to this place? So yeah. that you show up exactly how you decide. And it was also like the world also tells girls that you it, everything is qualified. You can't just be worthy. You have to be the fastest or the prettiest yeah, or the right. smartest or something in order to earn that worthiness. And again, it's doubled down for, for girls of color. So right. for us, it was like the reason why it's called Just Be is because we wanted you to just be. Yeah. Just exist, to know that you're worthy literally because you exist in the world. Well, and this feels like so core to like the healing that you were talking mm-hmm. about. Like what we believe about ourselves it, um, uh, informs whether or not we feel the courage to speak That's up, right. right? To like acknowledge our story, to mm-hmm. acknowledge our survivorhood, yep. um, and to like speak truth to power, to hold people. Like, like to all me, of all of that is interconnected. From, that's right. It all flows from the same place. You have to, it's that worthiness is almost like a muscle that you have to keep exercising and keep, and it has to be, keep being fed as well. By right? other people. By other people. And, and sometimes you can't get it from other people. So part of what our work was was to help them build a toolbox. Mm-hmm. We had these isms um, mm-hmm. that I'm terrible. You know, I, I created this thing and I can never remember them. But th- but they were like, you know, just be patient, just mm-hmm. be kind, just yep. be resilient. You know, and our last one was just be you. Yeah. And it was and and part of it said, you know, don't be afraid of that's a different thing at different times. Yeah. Because inherently, you'll always be who God made you. And when all else fails, just be. Yeah. 
right? Just stand in who you know to who you are. Nobody tells our children that. Nobody tells adults that, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But at least adults have the benefit of going out and finding, you know, somebody to some book to read or some yeah. guru to follow or whatever. Yeah. Young people don't ever get that. And yeah. young people in low wealth communities absolutely don't get validated in that way. Yeah. And it does feel like that syndrome of like um, scarcity and you are not worthy mm. is so pervasive oh, in our yeah. culture for, yeah. for for women and girls in particular, mm -hmm. that to shift that mindset within yeah. each and every one of us could actually shift Absolutely. the story and the narrative and the culture. And I also just want to acknowledge how much I love that it, it feels like your work is as much about what we're doing on the outside mm -hmm. um, to like serve one another and to heal together mm -hmm. and what we're doing within ourselves. Because it has to happen at the same time. Right. Right. I really, really believe that you cannot do, we can't do the work alone. And so we have to build community. And if we're going to build community, we have to be in support of each other yeah. all in all kind of different ways. Yeah. Those things, those two things have to happen in tandem. I just, I just, I've seen so many times when we separate the two and it just doesn't yep. work. It can't be polarized. Yeah. It can't be, you do one thing at one time and you do, it yeah. has to be simultaneous. No, it has to be simultaneous. So, um, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, in my own unique way, I, when this emerged, this movement, I located myself in it, mm -hmm. as have millions of women and men, right? right? Like everyone's being impacted by this conversation. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I want to get to like, what do you want for people who identify with me too? They use the hashtag, they're claiming it as a part of their identity. They're, mm -hmm. they're claiming to be a part of this movement. What do you want them to be called to do? What do you hope people are called to do? Because like I, because to your point before, the movement has many messages. Mm -hmm. um, and so I want to like give you space to like be very clear about yeah. this is what we should be called to do for each other. Yeah. I feel like if you are identified with this movement and you, and you say, I'm a, I'm a part of the Me Too movement, that means that you've made a decision to one, be committed to interrupting sexual violence. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be out on the street, and like in, in these um, big, bold ways, but in all the ways that you can, and in your capacity, you are committed to interrupting sexual violence. And I think the other part of that is that you are committed to a healing journey, both personal and in the community. Yeah. Like, I think those are like the main components of, of being a part of this movement. We want people to, like, it's almost like a la carte. Like, you, I want you to be able to find the different tools that you need and pieces you need to yeah. craft together your healing journey. That's what being in this movement is, is about. Because it's, it's not entry. one size fits all. No, not at all. Right. But, you, but, but there are so many different, there's the things that work for me may not work for right. you. But, but you seeing that I'm on this journey lets you know that it's possible. Yeah. Right? It's po it'll look completely different, but it's possible. Yeah. And, and so those are the components, I think, of people really being a part of this. It's, it's, and it's not just for women. Yeah. We should, I, I try to be clear about that. We will always be like at the forefront and the face of it because women largely are the people who deal with sexual violence. Yep. But, you know, I, I, I think it's so odd that we say, you know, one in four girls will experience sexual violence by the time they're 18. One in six boys will experience sexual yeah. violence by the time they're 18. Yeah. Which means that there are scores of adult yeah. survivors you know, when we first started this and um, people were like, well, men can't say me too. This is a, right. like, this is not the women's march, yeah. right? This, this, I mean, I'm not saying that to be disparaging. Yeah, I'm totally. saying like this is, this is very clearly a woman's issue in some ways, yeah. but this is a, a human issue. Yeah. It's pervasive in ways that we have not even thought about. Yeah. And boys are included in that. Yeah. Queer people are included yeah. in that. Yeah. Trans people are Big included time. in that. So we have to think about the spectrum of people as yeah. well. Yeah. What gives you hope? 
<laughs> my daughter. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that's like sort of a canned answer, but my daughter has blossomed in this moment in just a way that I have not, um, that I just didn't see before. Realizing, watching them, uh, my daughter's pronouns are they, and watching them talk about their experience, yeah. like what has been like living in the home and watching me do this work all these years and how it's affected them. And my daughter's represented me at like stuff I couldn't go to, it's gone and Amazing. talk. And I, I just have been like, this is what I'm talking about. And and honestly, it's my daughter and it's and it's that age group too. I've been traveling around talking to these young college students and they get it and yeah. they get it like that. Yeah. And they and they have a um you know, every generation is sort of like, well, this ge- this generation does know so much more though because they yeah. have so much more access. Their analysis is on point. Yeah. You know, you don't have to dig in and like explain a whole bunch of stuff and yeah. they're like healing, check, got it. Yeah. What do we need to do? Yeah. You know? So that makes me that makes me hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Um I am so grateful for you. (laughs) I'm so grateful for um, the courage that you had and the foresight to Mm -hmm. see this movement before people even knew it was needed. And I'm I'm grateful for the way in which you are stewarding it to keep it on course and to really like center healing and inclusion so that everyone um, can get well together. So thank you so much. Just get well together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. We are reimagining a citizenship where everyone belongs. And that calls us to fight for the 11 million undocumented immigrants living in the U.S. Among them, 800,000 young people are living in fear because of the DACA crisis. An attack on immigrants is an attack on all of us. We need to fight to keep our families together and ensure the well-being of everyone. Please make it a practice of your citizenship to demand permanent protection, dignity, and respect for our undocumented communities. You can learn more about how to engage at fairimmigration.org and unitedwedream.org. While this podcast is coming to an end, our work in the world is just beginning. This week's call to action is to invest in healing. Not just your own individual healing, but your healing in relationship to the healing of the community as a whole. Our healing and liberation are bound, and it is our responsibility to take care of ourselves and one another. To learn more about Tarana Burke's work and get engaged, check out metoomovement.org. Big gratitude to Tarana Burke for sharing her story and for all the amazing work she does in the world. And special thanks to Amanda Strummer and the World Muse for sharing this footage with us. Thanks for being here today. Special thanks to our producer, Trevor Exter, and DJ Drez for the amazing soundtrack. You can check out his music at djdrez.com. Citizen Podcast is community-inspired and crowdsourced. That's how we keep it real. You can stay in the know and engaged by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, Well Read, at citizenwell.org. Join our community on Patreon for as little as $1 per month so that we can keep doing the work of curating content that matters for citizens who care. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. And share the love by telling your friends to check us out.